All right. I want to tell you up front, I am approaching tonight's topic with some trepidation. So let's start off with a word of prayer, if you would, with me. Jesus, we are collectively your voice in this room. And you promise us that you are seated here amongst us as our Lord, as our teacher, as our master. And that promise weighs on us tonight. I pray that in this discussion, Lord, that your voice becomes clear to us in areas that we dare tread that we're not so sure about all the time. May our agendas be swept aside, Lord, or any of our preconceived notions. May we just seek truth, Lord. And we thank you that you guarantee us that when we seek truth, we find you, that you are the truth. And everything else really doesn't matter. But it's in a spirit of uh, just wanting to know more about you that we do this tonight. In your name, amen. Where are we and what are we doing? We are in the midst of a series on God's will. So far, we've covered two fairly non-controversial topics. The first was God's sovereign will. And we really wrestled in this group a little bit, as you'll see, with how his will works with our free will. We really had some wrestling there. Last week, we talked about his moral will. We're going to review those quickly tonight and then dive into the crux of what we're really supposed to talk about, which is, is there such a thing as an individual will for my own life? These are the questions you guys gave us on your cards. So just to, I'm not going to read them all just so that you know that if I could justify why we're going to spend five or six weeks talking about God's will is because these are your questions. And if you have this many questions, we should spend some time on this. That's slide one. That's slide two. More questions from you, you know, and then here's slide three. So I don't know. I've reviewed them a little bit. I think that by the time we're done, we may be able to answer most of them. Uh, Some of them I'm not sure we're going to answer. Probably the ones on this slide I'm not really sure we're going to answer. But that's okay. Where have we been? Here was the question. If God is really sovereign, how does the free will that we have interact with his sovereignty? And I'm just going to go through these really fast by way of review. We said, one, it's impossible to fully understand it. I've read many books on it. People have been debating it for 2,000 years. We're not going to resolve it in a series that lasts six weeks. There's people all over the map, but we do know that scripture is true and it tells us these things, that we know that God knows the future, we know that he is outside of time, so maybe there's even no such thing as future to him. Maybe he lives in an eternal now. We also know that he's in control of all things and scripture guarantees that, so it's kind of off the table. We also know that the Bible says we have free will and that we have freedom to choose and that we have a responsibility for our choices. So they work together. Wherever you are on that spectrum that we covered, whether you're over here in extreme, extreme Calvin land or over on the other side, the good news we said in a series about God's will is it doesn't matter because we're never going to know God's sovereign will. It's not meant for us to discover it. It's meant to unfold before us and we can see it in retrospect. So about sovereign will, we said we could struggle with it. It makes interesting debate, but for us together, it may not really matter if we're seeking God's will. It's not going to be trying to figure out his sovereign will. That belongs to the Lord and the Lord alone. So then we went on to talk about God's moral will last week. And here's what we found there. What is it? In a simple definition, we said it's what's revealed in the Bible for us to live and believe and how it is that we're supposed to do that. The points we made are we know that God's will flows from his holiness, from his love, And that's why we have so many of these commands that show us and pull us back into being holy. Or as Jesus himself summarized the law, he said it's really the law of love. It summarizes all of the law. We also made these points. That God's moral will is an expression of his character. 
And then it's fully revealed in the Bible in different ways, where we have concrete direction, but where we don't have concrete direction, we know that the Bible gives us the attitude, the manner, and the wisdom in which we're supposed to make decisions. So it was easy for us to grapple with the definition of moral will, because we thought it's just anything that's in the Bible that's expressly stated. That's easy to understand. What I wanted to grapple with you last week was looking at examples of it like this right here on the screen. This is a task that I did where I just took five chapters, opened them up and skimmed them and wrote down every single place that I found God giving his moral will in just five chapters. And it fills this screen in small font of all the things that we read off last week. Just as an example of how his moral will, it's abundant. It's everywhere. You can't miss it. In fact, I would challenge anybody in this room to be able to accomplish half of these in one lifetime. It, we couldn't do it. And that's what led us to the real question that I was aching with last week was, the reason we did this series was everybody is walking around saying, I want to find God's will. Well, it's right here. You don't need to seek any further. It's right in front of us. It's so easy to find. The questions that I was grappling with is if it's so easy to find his moral will, why are we spending our whole lives trying to find something more? And we got some good feedback from you last week about what it was that aches inside of us that makes us want more than what he's put in front of us. Why is it that God's moral will is not good enough? I think for most of us, maybe we need to spend more time understanding the scriptures to know what his moral will is. Maybe do the same kind of exercise. Open up scripture and start writing down some of the moral will that you find that maybe you haven't seen. But if it is so readily acceptable, why is that not good for us? Why is it not good? Why do we want something more? Some people here were very honest as we wrestled with that and said, well, we want something to be special about. We want to be significant and special to God. So his moral will, it's good, but I'd like something just for me. I'd like to have that special relationship. And that's where we come tonight to start talking about, is there something beyond God's sovereign and moral will? I'll tell you right now, the reason I said these were easy is because almost everybody acknowledges that these exist. Now we come to the question of, is there such a thing as the individual will for our individual lives? And this is where I kind of feel like I'm going to walk on a little bit of thin ice. And I want your feedback tonight as we go through this. Here's why. I'm going to bring this book over here. The book that we're going through, at least for this portion, seems like a book a week, but for this portion is this book called Decision Making in the Will of God by Gary Friesen. Today I was standing around in church because, you know, it's kind of a thick book. I thought I got to get some extra reading in, getting ready for some of the stuff we're going to talk about. And there's two people at church that I know pretty well that walked up and said, oh, yeah, you're reading that book. Somebody told me that I should read it. What do you think of it? And I said, well, it's thick. (laughs) It's a good book. I like it. It says a lot of provocative things. And this person said, he and his girlfriend are standing there. He said, could you just summarize what it says? Like, sure. Well, I mean, why should you read it? I'll just tell you. you, know? <laughs> it's, you know, like, isn't that the way we are in Christianity? Like, pass it on. Pastor said this. And like, everybody just believes it, right? Like, why should any of us actually read anything, right? So I said, sure, I could summarize it. Basically, the premise of this book is we may have misunderstood some of the scripture verses about individual will, there may be no such thing as God's individual will for your life. And I stopped. I looked at his girlfriend, and it looked like I had just shot her dog. <laughs> I mean, she was looking up at me like, what? And I couldn't tell if she was looking at me like, you heretic? Like, how could you even speak those words? Or, oh my God, you mean all that searching I've been doing my whole life has been a waste of time? And I couldn't I couldn't figure it out. 
but I knew that it was time to just change the subject and move on. <laughs> just talk about something else. So how are you guys doing? What's going on? You guys doing good? You know, Because I knew that we had stepped into an area that it felt very uncomfortable. And I'm going to tell you right now, I feel uncomfortable. Because what we're about to do in the next couple weeks is first present tonight what the traditional view is on an individual will for your life. So tonight, all I'm going to do is tell you there is an individual will for your life, and here's how you find it. And next week, I'm going to critique it and tear it down a little bit. And I'm going to, I, I want to tell you that I don't really know which side I'm going to come out on this, and I don't know what side you're going to come out on this. And I'm going to try to present it as fairly as I can, because you know we take on a lot of controversy here. I'm going to present it, and you guys tell me. Because I never want to presume that I know, because I know that Jesus is probably sitting right over there thinking, <laughs> yeah, wait till we get done with you. <laughs> You know, you're teaching all these people something in Miami. That's not what I want you to do. So I want you tonight to help me. Watch what is presented. Think critically. You can point out some things that maybe don't make sense, but hold most of them until we get to next week where we start to critique them and come back and tell me, how does this work with you? And I'll give you a couple clues along the way. Here's the traditional view. It goes like this. It has three points. The first point is, rather than seeking what's best for us, we should ask What is God's will for me in this decision? So we know the sovereign will. He's in control of all things. He's working it all out. We don't even need to worry about it because God cannot be thwarted. The moral will is a bunch of stuff we should all be doing. But in the midst of that, we should be asking, what should I do? And what's your will for me in this decision? That's point one. Point two, God wants to communicate with us. He wants to tell you what he believes about a given situation. So we can be confident that he's going to make his will known for us. And look at this, the way it's stated, in any situation. So we can sit before him and say, I want to know specifically in this situation, what's your will for me? And God wanting to communicate with us is trying to tell us. So maybe if we don't hear it, it's because we're not listening? I don't know. Just think about that. All right? Sounds like an easy you know, one, two, three, but these are kind of can rock some people's world when you apply them to your personal experience, okay? Third, the failure to accurately discern God's individual will will lead to anxiety, frustration, and discouragement. So you start off with, he does have something for you. He wants to tell you about it. And if you don't find it, it's going to lead to a situation where you're not going to be sitting well with God. All right, let me try it this way. This is a definition of God's individual will be an ideal, detailed life plan for each person. So everybody gets their own unique plan. Look at it this way. If God's moral will is like this, this circle, these are all the different things that comprise God's moral will, then under the traditional view, that's God's individual will for your life. You may have heard it stated a different way. Maybe you've heard God's moral will described as his permissive will. Maybe you've heard God's individual will described as his perfect will. Maybe you've heard it described in a different sense even than those where you say, this is the center of God's will. Anybody heard that terminology? Like, are you at the center of God's will right now? Well, that terminology comes from this kind of diagram. You've got God's moral will, where if you're in it, you're okay. That's good for everybody. You'd be okay. You're not outside of the craziness. You're not like out here somewhere in the darkness. You're in his moral will. But ideally, what I want for you, says the Lord, is to be right smack dab in the middle of where I want you to be, in that one spot. And then now you're in my perfect individual will for you. And if you're not in that place, you're going to feel that anxiety, that discouragement, that frustration, because it's not what I have planned 
for you. What do you think about that? Want to open it up? Let's talk about that. How's that feel to you? Does that work in practice for you? Yeah. I think I disagree with that on two counts. One is experience. I think if God wanted us to know his individual role for our life, it would be easier to find. I mean, I think more people would actually hear from God. And two, biblically, like even if you look at the Old Testament people, um, you know, there's periods of their life where they just didn't hear from God at all. And you didn't see till afterwards what his sovereign role was. But you didn't see him going every day like, okay, God, what do you want me to do today? Like, I just don't see it biblically, at least in the Old Testament. Is it possible that that could have happened, but it's just not recorded in our scriptures? It's possible, yeah. It seems like if God really wanted us to do that, it would have been recorded. You think he would have given us a command to do that? Yeah. All right, well, maybe we'll look at that in a minute. Anyone else want to jump in? Something that sounds right or wrong? Yeah. It's just too, like, I don't know. I feel like we have more free choice than that. I don't think everything that we do with our lives is God's, like... What about some things, if not everything? I think some things, but, like... Some things might be? Some things might be, but I just don't like the... So you're willing to accept that maybe not every single thing in your life has to be in that little circle, but exactly. some things might be? Well, it sounds like you might accept that there is an individual will, but maybe not for everything. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, do, I do feel that God might, for certain people, like, really have his hand in something where for whatever reason he's like, I really need this to be like your life exactly like this at this moment, but not necessarily everything and not necessarily for everyone, even though they'll have a purpose, but like, I think we have more freedom within that purpose. Okay, Ben? Just a question. Wouldn't that be the sovereign will, though? I think the distinction, if I understand what Monique is saying differently, is that he's going to work it out no matter what. And then everything else might be in the moral will, just live this way because I've got it all worked out. But I think you're allowing room for a few things that he absolutely wants you to do and that he's going to, and he's going to try to communicate that with you because he's not just going to work it out without your consent, sounds like. So he's going to try to talk to you and tell you, I might not care about 95% of the things you do, right. but I do want you to go to this college or this profession. Exactly. Okay. Phil. I seem to remember when we talked about the sovereign will, though, that that is sort of part of our conclusion we came up with the sovereign will is that his overall plan you know, works towards things, which means he, for some individual cases, which is seen through the Bible, he does intervene specifically and say, this is what I want to happen in this case, and he makes it happen that way. This is a good pause for station identification. In case you guys missed the first two weeks, you know, every single talk we do is podcast on our website. So because our talks build on one another, if you're wondering why we're talking about sovereign will so much, you can go back to series one. It's an MP3. All right. Does anyone here want to take the side of, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, let's not kill it yet. I mean, this week we're supposed to be building it up and I will do a little bit more to build it up. But anyone right now at an early stage go, I think that's the way it works. I mean, clearly a lot of us have been taught this. Are we just all frustrated with it? We think it's just it's a broken, broken theology? Well, let's go a little further and see if we can do something else with it. Let me give you some verses to look at of where this comes from. You know, where do people say, why is there an individual plan for you? So, you know, don't take my word for it. Let's see what the Bible says. Colossians 1.9. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, We have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So apparently you can be filled with the knowledge of his will. Colossians 4.12 Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, 
his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Ephesians 5.17 Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Psalm 32.8 I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. If you miss that, the part there saying, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Probably one of the few times in my life where I'm going to actually cite the King James instead. Um, it actually says it in a way I like almost better. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Okay? I'm not going to say which translation really there is better, but the idea of make your path straight to us may not mean as much as he shall direct your paths. Lean not on your own understanding. We hear that a lot in church. Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. That last one might be kind of convincing to some of you, especially those of you who are on the, I'm not so sure we have so much free will. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Does that change anyone's mind about an individual will? Or those verses just mm, doesn't make the case strongly enough? Anyone? Yeah. It says lean not on your own understanding. Just trust God. Like right now, we're trying to understand. Would that be considered leaning on our own understanding? Maybe we're just reading too much into this and we just need to trust God. We just need to disband the group right now. Let's go home. <laughs> I, I think the way this verse is often used by people who have this position is that lean not on your own understanding is used maybe a little out of context, but it's meant to say, you know what? If you're trying to make the decision on your own, you're going to fail. So that relates to God's will, meaning that you really shouldn't be trying to decide in that circle where it is you need to be as long as you're in that moral will. You need to not lean on your own understanding. Trust him. He's going to tell you what you should be doing. That's the usual answer that you'll get in a situation like that. And if you're feeling anxiety and frustration in making a decision, you shouldn't even be leaning on your own understanding. You should be seeking the Lord's wisdom because he's the wisest person and he'll tell you exactly what it is that you should be doing. Sounds like a lot of you aren't buying that. I mean, I'm looking at you guys. You're looking at me like, doesn't, doesn't seem to work. But this is the traditional view. Yeah. I think that at least a lot of those verses seem to be talking about the moral will as we understood it last week because it's saying, well, I'll show you basically what to do. Or, I mean, like Psalm 20, 32, I'll instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I'll counsel you and watch over you. At least for the first part of it, it seems that's exactly talking about the moral will, not an individual will. It's just like, this is what you should be doing. That's what I'm going to show you what you should be doing. I'll tell you that in fairness, that's what we're going to be doing next week is looking at these verses and trying to understand if they fit in the moral will or in the individual will. And that is the criticism that a lot of people have of people who believe that there is an individual will is the verses really are talking probably more about moral will. So that's kind of a preview of what that's going to be. Let me just show you how to contrast them a little bit, just, if, just to be totally clear. Under the moral will, you would say these are general commands and principles for life. Individual will, it's detailed. We often look in the Bible and say, there's just not an answer for what I'm looking for in here. I need specific revelation from you, God, on this. A lot of us, when we hear, like, he's going to give you specific revelation? Some people get nervous by that, and others of us say, no, that's totally fine within our spiritual giftings. 
moral will. It's revealed to the apostles and the prophets. It's found in the Bible. Individual will, it's revealed to the hearts of the believers, and it's usually not found in the Bible because you're looking for something specific. You're not going to find the answers to most of the questions and decisions in his moral will, although they can act as guidance. Moral will, it's revealed by the Holy Spirit through supernatural inspiration of the scriptures. Individual will, it's revealed by the Holy Spirit, and this is important, through inward impressions and other similar means. Most of the time, people are telling you, look for individual will. I'm going to show you how you do it, the method you use. Most of it is going to be about how we feel about something or how the Spirit leads us. So basically, to summarize it, the moral will, it's general for all believers. The individual will is specific to you. So here's an example. Since all of you are so concerned about marriage, it seemed, on that one (laughs) slide. The general will for all believers, you know, don't be unequally yoked. That's like something it says about marriage. Like, don't get divorced. Like, there's specific things to God's people about marriage, but they're not specific to you. They're specific to the body of believers. Jump over here to individual will. That's where we're seeking, like, specifically, Lord, where he says, yes, I have heard you, my son, and you should marry Jennifer next spring in an outdoor wedding. Many of us have been through these conversations. Many of us have explored Genesis 24, where we go through the whole story of how we found a wife for Isaac. You have to ask yourself a question. Was that a story specific to that circumstance? Or are we supposed to extrapolate from that and say, the best way to find a wife is to send your servant out there to check out the well and see how many people are going to, you know, whatever they do with it, right? Does that apply to us? And that's a really important question that we have to ask because a lot of the examples that we use are Old Testament examples. Does that apply to us? I'm not saying we can ditch the Old Testament. I'm just saying, was that a story about God's faithfulness in one spot? Or do we say, that's the way you find a spouse if you're a believer? Yeah. Um, interesting thing about that, like a lot of the Bible was a narrative and how Jesus himself was a rabbi and that whole style of teaching was, wasn't based around specific doctrine, but based around stories that gave you general principles to live your life and how a lot of the Bible was told in a really narrative fashion. Yeah, so what general principles seem like they would support God's moral will more than they would support a specific point? That just seems like it to me. That's just to contrast them so you can see. So if, you, if you're trying to understand what's the difference, well, there's a perfect example. Now, the real question we have to ask ourselves is, which one do we want? I can tell you which one I want. I want the individual one. Maybe it's because I don't want to do the work. But last week we really struggled with, maybe it's because I just don't want to do all the moral will part, or I just want to skip over that and just go, just get to what you want me to do, you know? Just you and me, just the two of us ignoring the entire body of believers that we're supposed to belong to. And that's, I think, the sin of the American church that we're, we're in. We've let that individualism from our society creep into our churches to the point where we think like it's me and Jesus, just the two of us, as opposed to Jesus and the church and our membership in a body. We don't like that for some reason. We read it. We go, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah, we all have a part to play, but my part's cool. All right. We all have a part to play. But you guys play your part. I'm going to go over here and Jesus and I are going to have our own conversation where he tells me what he wants me to do. And I'm sure it's going to be really uniquely wired to moi. And that may be the root of some of this. That's why I want you to think critically about that. All right. If you do believe in God's will, individual will for your life, and I told you I'm still not sure that it's not there. Here's how you are told to find it. 
by many of the books. And I read a couple of them. If you want to get into them and you want more information on finding God's individual will, I'll recommend the couple that I've read. They're pretty good. Number one, read the word. So you start with the idea, remember, that the moral will is the boundary. So nothing that you should be doing should really contradict that. So I like that. You start with the parameters of his moral will. That's the outward boundaries. Read the word and start with his moral will. But remember, that's kind of good, but we got a zero end. Number two, look for circumstances. And I want you as we go through these, because some of you said, I really believe that there's an individual will for my life. But ask yourself if when you make decisions, you don't use some of these same tools. Do you seek open and closed doors? Do you ask, Lord, if this isn't your will, just close the door. Just don't let me go that way. Just make it so evident to me that I just can't go that direction. I know I do that. Or the circumstances are going against you in a certain decision you're making, and all your friends come around you in counsel, and they say, well, if it was the Lord's will, it wouldn't be like this. It would be easy. It wouldn't be such a struggle. It would be harder to go the other way. I think this is the direction. So we're looking for open and closed doors. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm being kind of facetious, but I mean, it's like you almost, you might as well just go through this idea. Like, let's, let's sit around and, and analyze all the little tiny signs we should look for in our lives. And I think people get so wrapped up in the details and like, what if you really have a love for a certain career and the doors are closing everywhere you don't know why that you still want to go for it, but everyone's telling you it mustn't be God's will because the door closed, and, you know, and then... But don't people say that? No, I mean, people say it. It's why I spoke with it. Because on the other end of the spectrum, the idea of God not being involved on a personal level like that kind of scares me because total uninvolvement makes me feel so lost. Like I sit and think about it, I'm like, wow. Like. But haven't you ever sat before the Lord and seen doors seemingly close and think, maybe that's not your will? Have you yeah. thought that? Yeah. I mean, it's not like these people are out to lunch. I mean, this is something it seems like we all do. And maybe it's because we've done that same thing where we just pick up the theology and go, pass it on. Everybody just has told everybody that. I was just thinking, like a biblical example of that was when the disciples were looking for the new disciple. Like they just cast lots. And how is that different from... Yeah, they asked for a sign. Or what about yeah. Gideon throwing out a fleece and saying like, Lord, I don't, I think I hear you, but I'm not really sure. Could you double sure and doubly, doubly sure and before I do this crazy thing? I mean, even God told him to do something like that, right? Like, go down there, see who drinks one way, and get rid of those guys. So it isn't like somebody just thought, hey, that must be something. I mean, there is some, well, it's not some. There seems like a lot of biblical basis for this kind of opening and closing doors. But it sounds like when it comes to the practicality, it seems like it doesn't make as much sense to us. Anyone else? Yeah. Yeah. I personally, I think that God isn't just going to make something easy or hard for you. Like, if He's going to give you the drive to do what you want to do, yeah. whether it's going to be easy or hard, that's, that's, no one can control that. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Andrew. Kind of with that though, too. Like, um, I think that we as people are really impatient, and like our timing and God's timing often is very different. You know, and God has perfect timing, and so even if all the doors are closing, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's not what you're supposed to do. It just might not be the right time. Okay. Morgan, did you have a comment? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things with individual will is aligning with God. Like we, we've even just said, um, with you know something you want to do. I think it's it's where your desire is. Is it you know as Matthew says, are you seeking the kingdom first? Are you delighting in the Lord? Are you you know is is your focus on aligning with who God is and His character, and from that following Him. And, and that's a different way of looking at will. 
Okay. I'm going to drive just a little bit through these points and see if some of these strike you, and then we'll come back and see. We'll keep taking your temperature every five minutes to see where you're at in this discussion. <laughs> Circumstances. Then we move on to the inner witness of the Spirit. This is very big for proponents of God's individual will. You need to sense how the Spirit moves within you. The Spirit testifies to us. Here are the verses that back that up. John 16, 3. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the spirit is to guide so people feel like that's what we need. All right? Again, because those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. So it's biblical that the spirit is guiding us. Some people ask, is he guiding the church or is he guiding us individually? But in either event, it's supposed to lead to this kind of inner peace. In Philippians 4, 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I don't know if they really work as the proof text, but those are the texts that are cited to say, what's going on is you'll feel a certain peace, you'll feel a certain guidance from the Spirit. So you start with the Word, you see how the circumstances are playing out, and then you sit and think, let the Spirit guide you to help decide which way am I supposed to go. Fourth, look for mature counsel. I put up on the screen Acts 16.10. It says, After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Well, that's totally out of context. What is that all about? Paul had a decision to make. The Spirit was preventing Paul, he said, from decide what he was supposed to do. And then he receives a vision In his dream, there's a man from Macedonia saying, come and preach the gospel to us. But notice that the way this is rendered here, it says concluding. And the writer here is Luke, traveling with Paul, deciding that even though Paul had had a vision, they still needed to sit together and conclude together that this is what God was saying. So even though for those of us who get supernatural visions like Paul did, He still sat in counsel with those who were around him, wise counsel, and said, tell me how you sense the spirit to be moving. Your personal desires, and you were talking about some of the desires. Often what's told to people who are looking for the individual will is, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That seems kind of general. But the way it's used is, if you have a certain desire or a passion for something, the Lord put that in you. And that's one way to help you discern what his will is for your life. Because he probably wouldn't give you a desire that you didn't really want to go for. Especially if you're delighting in him. I have to admit that's kind of thin (laughs) to use that verse in that way. But that's how it's used. Number six, just use common sense. When all else fails, just, you know, something that's kind of in short supply sometimes amongst us. (laughs) Seems like we're running around. Common sense seems last on the list. But actually, it's not last on the list. Here's what's last on the list. Supernatural guidance. (laughs) I think we'd want that top of the list. So just do what I just told you to do a few minutes ago. Ask yourself, don't you do this? I mean, this isn't a goofy list. Don't we do these things? If these are the ways you're supposed to discern God's will, don't you believe in an individual will? Otherwise, why would you do any of this? In fact, if you didn't believe in an individual will, like most of you are claiming, like, I don't believe in it then you wouldn't even need to ask God, well, do you want me to go here or there? Because God's going to do what I said he would do last week. He would just say, 
go into the vineyard. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. But Lord, do you want me to drive the truck? Like, I don't care. Just harvest. But should I pick the fruit or put it in the... Like, I don't care. Pick the fruit. Harvest. And we had that discussion. I said it was a little... Maybe it was a silly example. But if you really are saying what some of you are saying, then you shouldn't do any of these things. Because you can just open up the Word and do what I did. Just write down all the things that you see and go, this is what the Lord requires of you. To do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with the Lord. I don't need to be worried about where I'm going to school or what job I have or who I marry. I'm supposed to walk humbly with the Lord. It says it right there in black and white. Yeah. Even if there isn't, we could still be using those. You'd say, well, we go through those, but you believe there's no individual will. My point is that we could still use those and believe there's no individual will just for our own decision-making process. Yeah, but in that case, I think every one of us is probably using our personal desires and our common sense. Most of us probably don't do... In fact, I think if you were really honest, most of us are only looking, even if you believe in an individual will, are only looking for on the big-ticket items. And that, this is where I think you have to stop and ask yourself. So if you're one of those, the silent majority who's probably wondering, is there an individual will or not? If you believe that, let me ask you this question, because it's, let's say there is an individual will for your life. Why are we only picking the big ticket items to ask about? If God really has an individual will for your life, it might matter what you eat for dinner. In fact, it might matter where, because you might miss the person you're supposed to talk to. It might matter if you turn left or you turn right on the way to work. Like Maybe you should go the long route once in a while. So even for those of us who believe in an individual will, we seem to be a little bit schizophrenic about it. Because we ask about things that we think are important, that we think God cares about. But how many times does God work the way we expect him to? God may work in something we don't even understand. Like we may say, I'm not going to that wedding. I don't want to go. And God may be saying, that's the wedding where you're supposed to meet that person that I want you to witness to who will later on become this. And it lets us domino effect, right? Do we sit before him and say, Lord, is it your will that I go to the wedding or not? We just think, personal desire, I don't want to go. Common sense, costs too much money. We're not going. <laughs> so if you believe in an individual will, and I'm not, like again, I'm not saying it's not there. This week we're saying it's there. If you believe in it, why aren't we making those decisions in accordance with reading his word and the circumstances and feeling the inner witness of the spirit? Did you want to jump in? Go ahead. Well, this may sound sarcastic and stupid, but I'm really honestly being serious here. If there is an individual will, then are we supposed to ask him about every every single thing? Like, oh, is it your will today that I go to Taco Bell or that I go to Alberto today? Is it your will to go here or here? The answer to your question, I'm going to answer it two ways. One is, if you read the literature on God's individual will, most of it, and maybe it's just a mistake where they're not thinking about this one point, most of it will say that God cares about every decision we make and we need to seek him on every decision. The every decision, I mean, maybe I'm just blowing it out of proportion and the Taco Bell example would be one way of blowing it out of proportion, but that's what they've written. That's what it says, every decision. So that's the first way to answer it. The second way to answer is just exactly what I just said, is that how do you know that deciding whether to go to Taco Bell or Del Taco isn't the decision that was going to make the most impact? I mean, ask yourself this question as a matter of practicality in your life. Look back in the history of your life. Aren't there moments in your life where if you just made the slightly different decision, it would have changed everything? And was that a decision you prayed about or did it just happen? 
There are so many things I can tell you in my old life now that I look back upon and I think, God, this so it's so weird. Like if I had just not experienced that, I would have been a different person. I would have been a different place. Something different would have come about. But what scares me when I think about that is I didn't sit before the Lord. It just happened. Or I just made a decision. So does that mean that I'm totally outside of his will? Yeah. See, now the line is getting really, really pleasant. That's what Exodus is for. Go for it. <laughs> the individual will and the sovereign will. Because it kind of sounds like you're saying, well, this is God's individual will for my life. So if I don't follow it, will I mess up God's sovereign will? Well, no, we can't because it's a sovereign will. So I'm, I'm kind of losing the sense of... The answer to that, most people who will tell you in the individual proponents will say, if you're outside of his individual will for your life, your life will not be fully fulfilled the way it should have been. You'll have that frustration and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. And, and you won't have lived to the maximum potential that God wanted you to. But don't worry, you're not going to mess up his overall will for the universe. And the, you can't do that. That even if you sinned every day of your life, broke every rule, he's still going to figure out a way to get. You can't thwart him. He's too smart, he's too knowledgeable, he's too all-powerful, he's too omnipresent in every way. That's how they resolve that tension. But for you, you're screwed. You know, you're like, you know, like he's going to work it out, but you, you got another thing coming. So, so that's where that, that third point on the first screen where I said, like, you know, he has a will, he's going to communicate it, and if you don't find it, you're the one who's going to be frustrated. Not him, he'll figure out a way around it. Because it's of an infinite mind to be able to work out every detail the way he needs to in the end. Yeah. On that same note, just a question. On, like in the traditional view of God, this individual will, if you don't follow it, it screws up your life, but is God disappointed? Is it something that, like, he'll be like, oh, well, you didn't do exactly what I wanted you to do for the individual will, and you ate it on Taco instead of Taco Bell on this day, like, and then, sorry, I'm disappointed with you. you know? My belief, God loves people who even turn their back on him and hate him. All right? My belief is God loves people. He has an omnibenevolence, an infinite love, right? That's the right answer, I think, the biblical answer. The answer you'll get in the church, though, is we've created a new theology for ourselves where when someone says, they ask you, like, oh, are you in the center of God's will? And you say, like, heck, I don't even know where it is. They look at you like, (laughs) now you're less of a person. You're like, they look at you with those, hmm. So we have taught ourselves a new theology in the church. We're very good at making up new theologies. And our theology in the church is if you're not in the center of God's will, it's not good for you. you know. And, and you're, you're, you're disappointing God because you've disappointed the church lady that looked at you that way. right? So that's where we've gotten this doctrine. The doctrine is there that you're not fulfilled. You're not fulfilling what God wants you to do. I'm not saying that he can't. I mean, he would love it even more if you were doing what you're supposed to do if you were in his will. But I see him loving even people who curse his name. So disappointment might be a little different than love. I don't know. I still love you, but disappointed in that decision. Because I mean, like, even the moral will, I could not follow the moral will in all my decisions, but God would still love me. Sure. That's like more talking about in the decision. Would he be disappointed in every decision I make against the individual will they have? If it was there, it's possible. Yeah, he would still love you, but shake his head and go, hmm, my people, you know. Which is, you know, kind of the whole Old Testament. You could summarize it like that, like, my people. Right? That's, so, you know, again, just in case anybody didn't want to read it, there you go, there's the summary. <laughs> you know? I'm sorry, did you have a comment, Ben? The individual will sometimes to me seems like it's more there, more not there, but does it conflict with Jesus' mission and the reason of his coming? That even if he did have an individual will for you, how on earth would you follow it? And if you could follow it, why would you need grace? Hmm. I think that the people come up with the idea that in God's moral will is his desire that everybody be saved. That's part of his moral will. 
So not following his individual will is never going to knock you out of that. It really still is a grace and nothing that you can do to earn yourself in. So doing the individual will is not going to earn you into salvation. It's really more of a question of having been saved and belonging to this Lord who reclaimed us and redeemed us. What then do we do with the rest of our life, for example? And that's that question of we could just follow his general moral will, in which case, again, he'd be like, hmm, better than nothing. Or in this view would be like, but if you did what I had for you, you would not only, I mean, you'd do all the things that Christians dream about. You would have saved half of Africa. You would have done all these things. Have a, you know, do all these things, donate to a large university, all those kind of things, because God was working in your life, you know? That would be like your, you know, right, you know, marry the super Christian girl. You're like, yes, Lord, you're blessing me in every way, right? Because I'm in the middle of your individual will, right? It's like, there are so many times in the Bible I don't see God promising that life. But your individual will may be one of suffering. I mean, but at least you're in his individual will. So there is that. You keep them kind of separate. How do you confirm it? Just in case all those seven things, you start looking like this. You look for multiple signs to align. Especially if you can get the Bible, the circumstances, and the inner witness of the Holy Spirit all going the same way. You've got what people call confirmation. So people will say that to you. Have you prayed about this decision? Yes. Has the Lord confirmed that this is what he wants for you to do? This is what they're talking about. You're looking at all those different things that we had on the previous slide. Like these seven to kind of all kind of line up in a way. They're all flowing the same direction. Pray. Who's going to argue against that? Pray. That's the answer to almost every question in Christianity. Pray. Prayer. Jesus is always a good answer. Okay? If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him, James 1, 5. So if you lack wisdom, pray. I think that applies in every circumstance, by the way. So you know, we could poke fun at it a bit. It's actually true. But we're specifically now, if you're looking at these different signs, how do you put them together? Three, communion with God. You've heard this preach. I know you have. That you're not going to be able to hear God's voice unless you know God. You're close to God. You're near God. Like, how are you going to recognize it if you don't even know his voice? If you don't read his word, if you don't spend time in prayer, you're not going to know. So the closer you are to God, the more you will instinctively recognize his voice and understand his guidance. So if you've heard those discussions about, you know, you won't recognize God's voice unless you're close to him. It's born out of the idea that there is a will for your life and he's trying to communicate with you and you're not going to, you're going to miss his voice. You're going to be outside the center of his will because you're not, you don't even know what his voice sounds like when he's trying to speak to you. Yes, of course, we like him to show up like on the road to Damascus and just say, hey, you're blind until you do what I want you to do. That would be good. (laughs) But in the absence of that, most of us are taught in our churches that he's only going to speak in a still small voice. What a bummer. Because we want him to speak in large supernatural ways to us. It doesn't happen all the time. Here's the fourth one. The results. Does it bear fruit, you'll hear people say? Do you have peace inside? Did it result in a blessing to you? Are you correctly aligned with God's will? You'll be firing on all cylinders if you are. That's kind of how it breaks down. And that's why I think when I was talking this morning with my friend, and it looked like she watched me shoot her dog, when I said there might not be an individual will, I think it was because we like some of these features. We like some of these tests. We like to know that God, being all-knowing and all-loving, is going to respond to us when we say, which way should I go? I want your guidance. 
Now, I'm not saying he's not going to do that. In fact, you have to stay tuned to find out what he does do. Even if there is no individual will, does that mean he just leaves us alone? The Bible's the last word. That was the last time he's speaking to us, and he just, that's it. I'm done. So we're going to go next week and start to figure out, if we critique this, what's left? Is this all bad? Because I think some of you are kind of throwing rocks at this today, but you believe it a little bit more than you think. Some of you believe this a little bit more because you, when you have a difficult decision to make, are going to do some of these things. We need to explore. Maybe you do believe it. Maybe I do. Yeah, Monique. What's scary about this, though, is that you can get it wrong so easily. Like, I had two different people come up to me, and they're like, about the same person. They're like, God told me this is going to be your husband. Wouldn't I know if that was God's will for my life? Like, you know, it couldn't be farther from the truth as far as how I feel. So it's like, you know, people hear kind of what they want to hear, and it, like, it becomes a little dangerous. It didn't help that they were two of his best friends, too, right? Like, that's part of it. <laughs> yeah. I tried that once. It didn't work so good. Like, they, they saw right through that. <laughs> well, we'll wrap up in this way. When I started, I said, I think I'm a little bit on thin ice. Because I can tell you what I think about this. I'm not sure what the right answer is. Next week, we're going to get closer to maybe figuring out the right answer is by starting to critique this more. Sounds like you guys are already critiquing it. You guys can't even wait till next week. Maybe we'll critique it a little bit more with some examples of how this works and actually look at scripture more in context, I think, to see is it speaking about an individual will or a moral will. But just fast forward with me for a second. Let's say that some of you don't believe there's an individual will. What we then have to answer is, well, then how does God guide us? Is he really just an absentee landlord? Do you just leave us down here? With like a set of instructions, go here, just do a bunch of these things. You'll never finish them anyway. Or is there more to it? And that's the question you should be grappling with because that's the question that scares me. I, I need his guidance in my life to make decisions sometimes. I want his input on things. So I can't stand up here and tell you there's no individual will because I want there to be some, some. But it also doesn't make sense that I would ask him every week whether I'm going to Taco Bell or Del Taco. So how do I reconcile those? And that's what I want you to come back with next week, wrestling with a little bit with me. How do we reconcile them together? What do we do to put them back together? Okay? And I think where we leave it is a little bit of trepidation. Because only the Lord really knows. We've been a little bit over here. Next week we'll be a little bit over here. And then hopefully settle somewhere in the middle where God might really want his people to be. Let's close in prayer and uh, do a little bit of worship and uh, hang out tonight. Get to know some people and get ready to come make sushi this Saturday. Lord, I can't help but feel like our discussions are so amateur compared to your knowledge. But that doesn't give us an excuse to turn away and not to understand you better. So, Lord, our act of worship tonight was sacrificing time as Jonathan prayed to lay aside just time to wrestle and get to know you better, ask questions, expand your glory just in the way that we don't understand you and the way we leave our infinite God just exactly the way we found him originally, which is beyond us completely. So Lord, that's our act of worship tonight. Now we come back into worship just to praise you and know that no matter what we understand or don't, that you are still God, you reign supreme and that you called and saved us, and we are yours. Leave that there tonight, Lord, in your precious name. Amen.